I am Pastor Zach, the lead pastor, and, and Shelly and I do consider it a privilege to be here to serve the church in this way. And uh, how many had a chance to watch the Super Bowl last Sunday? Anybody get to see that? It was a good game. It really was. Those uh, Philadelphia Eagles, it was fun to see as they ran in. Oh, we got some cheers. I don't know if we had any booze. Hopefully not. But those, those Eagles ran in. It was neat to see how many fans were there to support them and, and what they were hoping to be was going to be a win for them. Because then as the Patriots came in, you, hear, you heard some boos, which lets you know there was lots of Eagles fans that were there. Uh, and of course, those Eagle fans, they put their faith in their team and it did not disappoint. They came out eight points ahead. Uh, good for them. First Super Bowl win in the team's history. Walked away with the Vince Lombardi trophy. And all of America rejoiced. Not because the Eagles won, but because the Patriots lost. Poor Patriots fans. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, you can come forward for prayer later today. You know, but uh, it's interesting. You know, I'm sure the Patriots, they had faith in their team, too. Uh, that faith disappointed. Um, what I want to look at today, though, as we talk about great faith, you know, is the understanding of we should have faith in something that does not disappoint. Uh, that faith would be in God. And we have this incredible story as we continue in our series in Luke today that shares with us the kind of great faith that we should exemplify. We have a, a story of this woman who displays great faith in God, great faith in Jesus. And we can look at her story and learn some things from it. So if you have your Bibles with you today... Hey, I hope you do. We want people to have a Bible here. I feel like the Bible is God's word. It changes people's lives, and so we want you to have a copy. If you don't have a copy and want to follow along in today's scripture reading, there's a a Bible underneath your seat back. You're welcome to it uh, so that you can have a Bible in your hands. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that home as a gift from the church. But I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, simply out of reverence to say, thank you, God, for giving your word to us. And partly to recognize, I'm going to talk about God's word, but this is God's word. And there's a difference between the two. And so I want to read God's word this morning, starting in Luke chapter 7. We're going to continue where we left off last week. So last week what was happening is Jesus was talking to some people about John the Baptist and some of the the comments people were making about him. And and then what happens is, is he's invited over to someone's home for dinner. And that's where we're going to pick up. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36 says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven." 
Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. You know, I find it pretty incredible that the faith of this woman is being talked about 2,000 years later. How many of us live that kind of life? That if God should tarry and Jesus doesn't come back in the next 2,000 years, that people would be talking about the kind of faith that we had. What's extraordinary in this narrative is that this narrative is talked about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of the Gospels contain this story. And there's not a whole lot of narratives where that occurs, so that tells us there's something special about this story. And what's special is this woman displayed great faith. And so I think we could learn some things from her about what great faith looks like, that if we have great faith, these are the qualities that we see in our lives. And so that's what I'd like to examine today as we talk about the kind of faith that we can have that's talked about for generations to come. And the first quality we see in the life of this woman is that she had bold faith, that you can have great faith by being bold. You can have great faith by being bold. So in our passage, the Pharisee had invited Jesus over to his house. It was a compliment to have a teacher in your home. So, so this Pharisee, Simon, he invited Jesus over for that. And now since Jesus was a public figure, the door to this meal likely remained open so that others could come in and sit on the edge of the room to hear the discussion that was taking place. And in the first century, tables, they were lower, people rested on pillows, and their feet were back pointed toward the wall. So that's the posture they're in as they eat dinner. And so the tension we find in this passage is that a woman comes in and she doesn't follow the cultural norms of that day. She breaks protocol. She did not remain on the edge. She was bold enough to come in and to begin to silently engage the guest of honor, which created disruption in the whole banquet. The first thing we find for this woman is that she's bold, that her faith in Jesus led to bold action. So the first quality of great faith is great faith leads to bold action. Great faith requires bold action. At the end of every Sunday service, and we'll, we'll do that today, we always invite people to make a decision to follow Jesus. And some have asked, well, you know, in our cultural setting, should we have people raise their hands? Should we have them get together with somebody on the prayer team? You know, is that the best way? And, and I would say, I know the enemy will do everything he can to disrupt somebody's faith, to keep them from following Jesus. So the first thing I want to do is to say, look, take that bold step, because as you take that bold step, God fills you with a faith like you've never known. So we encourage people, look, if you're, you're here and you've not made a decision, I'll ask you at the end, hey, raise your hand. We want to pray with you. We're going to have you talk with someone on the prayer team, because we want to get you a Bible and information on how you follow Jesus for a lifetime. Because great faith requires bold steps. It just does. You know, and maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, lots of years, and so could I challenge you that bold faith means you can't sit on the sidelines? Because look at the crowd that's there. Simon and others in the crowd, they didn't like the way that this woman was serving Jesus. They were sitting on the sidelines. So for some of you this morning, your faith might require you taking the bold step of jumping in to be all in. Don't sit on the sidelines. The fourth Sunday of every month here at Connection Point, we do something called the Next Step Class. And I would encourage you, that would be a step for you. Take next steps of faith. Maybe you've been here for five or more years and you've never really jumped in. So if you go to our church website, connectionpointchurch.org, on the home page, there's a button there where you can select to sign up to be a part of the next step class. And it simply is this invitation to say, we want you to have great faith and that requires being all in. So take next steps in your faith. That you can have great faith by taking bold steps. 
The second thing we find is that you can have great faith by being grateful. You can have great faith by being grateful. The woman's faith reflected genuine gratitude for the person of Jesus. Absolutely, I think everyone would recognize that. It's understood within the interaction that we find in our passage this morning that this woman's story, in some way, she's already been in contact with Jesus. And Luke does this on a couple of occasions where he basically introduces someone who's already been on a journey with Jesus, and we're not sure how or why they met up, but we kind of catch ourselves in the midst of this woman's story kind of halfway in. Her debt has already been forgiven. Jesus shares this parable to say, look, if this debt has been forgiven, how do you think that person's going to love? And of course, Simon says, basically, they're going to love much. So we know this woman's already interacted with Jesus in some capacity, but what's interesting is when you look at her life, her interaction with Jesus, her gratitude led to great sacrifice because she shows up with an alabaster jar of perfume. Most scholars and commentators would say that that's likely to have cost around 300 denarii, and so in our uh, terminology, that would have been one year's wage. So I don't know, you know what a year's wage is, but let's say it's like 30, 40, 50,000 dollars. A bottle of perfume, 40, 30, uh, 30, 40, 50,000 dollars, is what this woman shows up with, and not only shows up with it, but pours it out on the feet of Jesus. Now, I'll admit, I was curious. Like, can you buy like, a bottle of perfume? For $30,000? And the answer is no. <clears throat> but you can buy a bottle of perfume for $215,000. So for anyone interested this morning, there it is. Clive Christian Imperial Majesty. $215,000. Valentine's Day is this week, guys. Hey, you want to hit a grand slam? <clears throat> of course, the fact that you'll have to sell your home might put your wife on ease, you know. I mean, that's, that's like what you're comparing. You know, like home or bottle of perfume. Like home, bottle of perfume. I mean, basically it's like this mom says, hey kids, grab the camping gear. We're going to live outside because I'm buying a bottle of perfume with that mortgage money. <laughs> that's crazy. And then she takes it a step further. And by the way, uh, when I meet Jesus, the guy that changed my life, I'm going to pour it all out on his feet. That's crazy. But that's the kind of sacrifice this woman makes because of the interaction she had with Jesus. Isn't that extraordinary? That's great faith. That's a faith that has all kinds of gratitude. But what I find interesting is it was a kind of gratitude that this Pharisee that was hosting Jesus, he had no understanding of. By hosting Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, who's identified in our passage, he should have served as a host for Jesus. He should have offered Jesus water for his feet. In other words, a servant should have come to wash the feet of Jesus when he entered Simon's home. Or at least water should have been offered so his feet could have been washed, that Jesus could have done it himself. And, and he should have kissed Jesus' cheek. In the Middle East today, I see some of our Jordanian friends here this morning. Don't you greet somebody, you're going to kiss them. And if you really like them, you're going to kiss them three times. <laughs> that's the way it goes. That's just how you greet people. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Look, Simon... You didn't offer water. You didn't give me a kiss when I entered your home. You didn't anoint my head with oil. And we know that these are things that should have been done because Jesus brings it up. Simon has no gratitude in his heart for Jesus. But this woman, she had great gratitude. And it's what led to great faith. Because great faith requires gratitude. So why did this Pharisee display so little gratitude for Jesus? Jesus implies in the parable that he shares, Simon might have seen himself as someone that had little sins. That's maybe the way that Simon perceived himself. 
You know, it's likely Simon didn't engage in very public sins that others might know about, so he thought he really didn't need much forgiveness. And it is funny how we can put a ranking order on sins to think some are worse than others. And, and we do this today. You know, things like murder and, and sexual immorality and drunkenness we might look at as worse than like envy, selfish ambition, jealousy, anger. But those things are sin as well. And God doesn't put a ranking order on sin. It's just sin is sin, evil is evil, wrong is wrong. There's no ranking order. And so it's interesting when you look at the Pharisee, he probably put people in two categories holy and unholy. That he was in the category of holy, and this woman was in the category of unholy. But then Jesus shows up, and he basically says, Simon, not only am I a prophet, I know what you're thinking, but I also know this woman's life. I know her sins. And that there are two categories of people. There is holy and unholy. And in the category of holy is Jesus, and in the category of unholy is everyone else. So what he's saying to Simon is, Simon, you've put yourself in the wrong category. You're not looking at yourself accurately, and so it's hard for me to help you if you first don't know your starting point and where you're at. Because as much as we look at the gratitude and the, the response of this woman, Jesus had a heart for Simon too. And he's trying to help Simon understand, Simon, you're a sinner in need of help, just like this woman is. God's heart is for us to see evil the way that he does, and then turn to be grateful for the fact that God doesn't leave us there. God doesn't want us to live in sin and in evil. He wants us to live in relationship with him. So he points it out for us so that we can be made right with God. That's the gospel. Simon's love for Jesus was not great because he did not appreciate the depth of forgiveness God had made available to him. Instead, here's what Simon does, is he judges the woman in order to gain a good feeling about himself. And we can be guilty of the same. You know, others in the crowd there that day, they did the same thing. You see, there are many who see other people's sin and they miss their own. They're filled with pride, smugness, self-righteousness, and judgmentalism. That's the way it's lived out. These kinds of people, I love the narrative of the story, is that these people live in their head. Notice that Simon's having this conversation with himself. And that's how critical people live. They live in their own head. God's heart and I would say this for us this morning, may we examine ourselves always. That's part of why we come together on a Sunday and look at God's word to say, and God, where am I this morning? If I'm living in my head, help me to not live that way. Help me to live for you, not with a critical spirit. The woman in our passage this morning, she's serving Jesus. She's doing the thing. Here's what I think is interesting. She's being criticized for doing the thing that Simon should have done. Do you see that? She's serving Jesus the way that Simon was supposed to, so now Simon is critical. And we can do the same thing if we're not careful, that we see others doing things we probably should be doing, and so then we gain a critical spirit as well. But may we not live like that. May we not live in our heads. May we not think that we're in the holy category while others live in the unholy category. May we not criticize others for serving while we sit on the sidelines. Jesus knows your thoughts. He knows what we're thinking right now. He knows how we're processing, and his heart is for you to serve him and love him passionately like this woman did. And I would say, too, as we look at the lives of others, let's not dwell on how they lived, because that's what Simon was doing. He knew the past of this woman, but Jesus sees the potential this woman has for the kingdom of God. So let us see people for the potential they have. So I encourage you, be grateful for the fact that God's grace and mercy is freely offered. We should have a heart of gratitude. Stop sitting on the sidelines and start serving Jesus. Don't be critical of others. Just jump in and be a part. Don't allow others to do what's your responsibility. Why? 
because you can have great faith by appreciating the depth of forgiveness God's made available to you. And this is expressed in gratitude that results in bold action. The last thing we find of this woman this morning is that you can have great faith by being humble. You can have great faith by being humble. The woman in our passage this morning, she humbly approaches Jesus. She didn't sit next to him, but instead she went behind him to his feet, wetting them with her tears of gratitude and wiping them with her hair, kissing his feet, anointing them with perfume. Talk about a humble posture. And maybe help us understand the kind of humility being expressed there. It would help us to know the setting that they're in. You need to think about the kind of uh, shape that Jesus' feet were in. So first century, they walk on, on very dirty, just dirt roads. So they're walking on dirt roads. These roads are shared with animals. So these roads are full of garbage and animal feces. And so you're walking into somebody's home because they're wearing open-toed sandals, and they've got very, very dirty feet. That's why most hosts offer water to say, don't bring that junk in here. Clean off your feet, right? <laughs> that's what should happen. So that's the, the, the state that Jesus' feet are in. But this woman looks at the missed opportunity that Simon had, she takes that opportunity for herself. So what was an opportunity for offense, she says is an opportunity for me to serve, and I'm going to serve you, Jesus. And she washes his feet. That's the humble way that she approached Jesus. And this woman takes a humble posture as she does it. As you look in the Bible, one of the, the words for worship is basically to fall down on your face. And that's the posture this woman takes. She falls down at the feet of Jesus and worships him there. She's worshiping, she's doing it with passion, humbly, publicly, repentantly, generously. She's giving her best, she's giving all that she has, she's giving all that she is in love to Jesus as her Lord. And we talked about this woman's great faith being displayed through boldness and gratitude. And might I say this morning, if you're not real bold in your faith, if you're not living with gratitude, it might be because you're not walking in humility. Humility is kind of the foundation and you can live a life of humility, and as you live that life of humility in Jesus' name, you start to become bold, and you're grateful for the life that God has given you. And I mention this because if you're living humbly, you're living for an audience of one. You're not really concerned about what other people think of you because all that matters is the opinion of God of you. So then you can be bold in your faith. And if you understand your lostness outside of God, then you can't help but be grateful for the fact that God sent his son so that we can have relationship with him. So boldness and gratefulness, they come out of humility. And I do want to define, you know, what is humility? Because great faith requires humility. Humility is defined as freedom from pride or arrogance. That's a good place to start. Humility comes from a place of understanding your lostness without God. Humility is not being concerned with what other people think of you. Humility is living for an audience of one. And I try to think, what's the best biblical definition of humility? And I think the best biblical definition is that you consider others before yourself. That's what a humble person does. Humility is loving others like you want to be loved. Humility is understanding that the first place you start as you want to serve others is you need to see them. What struck me as I was working through this passage uh, in the last couple of weeks is Jesus asked this really interesting question. Because here's what he asks. He's, he gives this parable to Simon and Simon says, the one you know, with the greater debt would probably love you more. And then the next line, Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? It's an interesting question. I had never really stopped to think about it. Because obviously they were physically seeing this woman, 
That's why they were talking about her. But that's not what Jesus is asking. What he's asking is, do you see the potential this woman has in the kingdom of God? Do you see what love and forgiveness can do to change the lifestyle of this woman? That's what he's asking. Do you see the potential that that love and forgiveness holds? And so the challenging question for us to, to start with today as we look at lives of humility is, do we see the people around us? Do we see the, the colleague, the student? I was thinking about youth in, in college. Do we see those individuals that eat lunch alone? Do we see those neighbors that, that pull into their, their garage and shut the door behind them? Do we see the clerk that checks us out at Walmart as we buy groceries? Do we see the server that serves us food as we go out to eat? Do we see these people? Do we see the potential they have to live for God? Do we see the potential that God's love and forgiveness has to change their life and turn their life around? And I'm not just talking about the people who seem to have it all together, actually quite the opposite. Do we see the people who are marginalized? Do we see the immigrant? Do we see the minority, the poor, the destitute, the unkind? the antagonistic, and do we realize they were all made in the image of God, and God's heart is for them, and his love and forgiveness can change their life? Do we see the people around us? So as we leave from this place today, may you begin your journey toward great faith by starting to see the people around you. That's a great place to start. Notice the server today who serves you lunch if you go out. Notice the neighbors who are uh, in your neighborhood. Notice the checkout clerk who gives you your groceries. They're all made in the image of God, and God desires to turn their lives around. You can have great faith through gratefulness, through boldness, and humility. So where do you find yourself this morning? Are you a person of great faith like the woman, or are you a person who lacks genuine faith like Simon? I want you to examine your hearts today. We're going to close in song so you've got an opportunity to passionately worship Jesus. You know, and every personality is different. I was thinking about this as we were singing our songs this morning, that, you know, there are some that are going to exuberantly praise, and that's okay. And if that's not your personality, that's okay too. But might I challenge you this morning to say it's okay to raise your hands if that's what God puts in your heart to do? Let's be passionate about the way that we worship Jesus. Let's not sit on the sidelines being critical of those that are going after God. So how are, how are you able to tell in terms of where you're at? Are you a worshiper or not? Are you bold or not? Are you serving others or are you sitting on the sidelines? Are you giving generously or are you giving nothing? Are you a Simon or are you a person of great faith? And I ask this question because you might be in this room this morning. I was, as I was working through the passage, here's what came to mind. You might theologically agree with everything that I've said this morning. That when Jesus says to this woman, you are forgiven, you'd say, man, I am forgiven and I, and I live that way. But the question is, but are you living passionately for Jesus? Because if you're not, then the question comes in, have you really met Jesus? Because this woman met Jesus and she passionately served him. Simon met Jesus, but basically remained unchanged. We don't know the final story of Simon, but I don't want his story to be yours. And that's how we're going to close today. And the music team's going to come and lead us in song. But the question to ask yourself is, is it's interesting 2,000 years later to be talking about these people. And so the question that came to mind for me was, what kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of faith will your kids see? Will your grandkids see? Will your friends and family or coworkers? It's a question you should ask yourself and, and be reflective on. Because we, we're talking about the lives of both of these people, but one is a model for us of great faith and one sits on the sideline as a critic, as a skeptic. So may that not be our response to Jesus. You're invited to a life of great faith and it's yours to, to grab a hold of if it's what God has put in your heart to do. So I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close in song today.
And as I shared at the beginning of this message, if you're here today, maybe you've been exploring the Christian faith, but you really just haven't dove in to say, I'm going to take that bold step to say yes to Jesus and see how he turns my life around. But you're recognizing today that, you know what? I want great faith. I want that to be my legacy. So I want to live for God today. With every head bowed in this room, I just want to encourage you in prayer that if that's where you find yourselves, take that bold step today. Raise your hand and say, you know what? That's where I'm at, but I want to walk out of this place in a relationship with God. So if that's you, simply raise your hand and we'll pray with you before you go today. Anybody would say, that's me. I haven't been following God, but I have a heart to follow him. And I want to take bold steps of faith today. The second thing I'd like to ask this morning is this. Maybe you're here today. You've given your life to Jesus. You have your faith in him, but you're really not someone who's living with great faith. That if you were honest with yourself, you'd say, you know what? I've been more on the sidelines as a skeptic than I have as a woman or a man passionately serving Jesus. Shelly, this morning, we were in the first service and in the time of of singing, she said, you know, it's just on my heart that I think some have have held back because they're not sure what Jesus is going to ask of them. But let's look at the passage this morning. Did Jesus ask that woman to serve him in that way? No. Jesus doesn't ask anything of you, but here's what I know. As you begin to have a heart for Jesus, you just have a longing to serve him. That's what happens. So approach Jesus just as you are, knowing he's not asking anything of you. He simply wants you as his, as a child of God. That's it this morning. So if you're here today, if I could make a a second opportunity and invitation for you, that if maybe you've been on the sideline, but you say, you know what, I'm going to take the bold step today. I'm going to raise my hand. And as we worship today and close in song that way, I'm going to worship passionately for Jesus today. So if that's you today and you'd say, I want to take a bold step and and worship with great faith no longer on the sidelines. Simply raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you before we head into song. Anybody here today say, that's me. I've really been on the sidelines, but I don't want to be there anymore. I want to worship with great faith. Anybody else? I see some hands here in the middle. Anybody else? I'd say, that's me. Just take that bold step to say, that's me. And I I don't want to stay there. I want my kids and grandkids and great grandkids to talk about my life as one of great faith. Anybody else here today? Let me just pray with you before we go. God, I just pray that you would give us a heart to passionately serve you, to worship you, God, generously. Lord, to worship you with all that we are, that we wouldn't hold anything back. And so, Lord, I just pray that you give a heart, your heart, into each and every one in this room, putting you at the center, Jesus. We thank you, God, for all that you have done in our lives and for that which you still have yet to desire to do. So Lord, I just pray as we close in song today, may we hold nothing back. May we serve you with all that we are, Jesus. May our faith be one of great faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.